to Adjusted Reality, a podcast series trusted by the adjusted and brought to you by the Foundation for Chiropractic Progress, where we learn from athletes, celebrities, influencers, and healthcare professionals about how to optimize health in a fun, relatable way. Join me, Dr. Sherry McAllister, as I speak to Dr. Chris Niebauer about overcoming left brain laziness with logic, fun, and awareness. Adjusted reality audience wanted more, so we brought him back. Dr. Niebauer, as many of you will recall, was in season two, where he talked about the thinking mind, modern philosophy, and how imbalances within your brain or a thinking mind affect your body. As a reminder, he is also the author of No Self, No Problem, How Neuropsychology is Catching Up to Buddhism. In his groundbreaking book, Nibiru writes that our sense of self, or what we commonly refer to as the ego, is an illusion created entirely by the left side of the brain. What makes this book unique is that Niebauer offers a series of exercises to allow the reader to experience this truth for themselves, as well as an additional tools and practices to use after reading the book, all of which are designed to change the way we experience the world in a way that is based on being rather than thinking. I wanna welcome you back, Dr. Niebauer. Thanks, it's great to be here, Sherry. Well, it's an exciting journey, and I know there's something very exciting coming out, and it is a new companion book, No Self, No Problem Companion Workbook coming soon. Is that correct? I don't have the exact date yet. Uh, Hopefully, it will be sometime this year uh, for the year end. And uh, really, it was a response to readers. They, They really enjoyed the exercises. They The idea of going too deep into philosophy... Um, and people enjoy that, but it seemed like the exercises were the transformative element of the book. And so we really uh, listened to that. We listened to the to feedback we got from readers. And so we put together this companion workbook, which is really, it has a little philosophy here and there, but it really is exercises for experiential transformation. So uh, that that's you know it's in fact I think I can come out really early in a book and say do not memorize this do not this is not for I'm not going to test you on any of this. Well, it it's is. it's really exciting to to hear that you're listening to your readers. We're listening to our listeners because they too wanted more, and that's the exciting part and why we're so willing to be groundbreakers here together is get what they need and hopefully they need what they get. And that's the next part of being able to offer these types of exercises for the listener and the reader. Now let's start with the basics. Let's go back just a few moments. What are the functions of your left and your right brain to refresh their memories? That is such a really great question. It's probably one of the most popular questions I get because I am a left-right brain researcher. And just to kind of step back a little bit, people have been asking that question really for thousands of years. I mean, you can go back, I mean, 2,000 years ago, and there have been speculations on how the left and right sides of the brain differ. And they were actually pretty decent speculations. They, I, I'm not sure how they got it right. Um, 
without any computers, without any lab equipment, and uh, you know, minimum uh, surgical techniques. But uh, we've really made some, maybe the the most progress in the last fifty years. And there are just so many thousands of articles that look at how the left and right sides of the brain differ. And there's been so many different theories, and and there's almost been this kind of competition, like who can come up with the grand theory that just that puts it all together. And we really don't have that yet. Um, and and so the, the most classic way that is held up, and it's accurate, but it's the kind of thing I would give to maybe my intro to psych students, is that the left brain is language and the right brain is about space, emotion, humor, sarcasm, metaphor. Uh, but then you say, okay, well, what's what's behind that? What's driving it? And so uh, I'll give you my version of this. Uh, uh, because that's evolved through the years. In fact, I think I may have changed it since I was on your podcast last time. I don't think I was even thinking this way. So I've even evolved in a short time. And putting all the data together, all the research, to me, the most practical way of looking at how the left and right sides of the brain differ, because most people aren't left-right brain researchers. (laughs) What they want is, tell me how the left and right sides of the brain differ in terms of my practical experience. In terms of my day-to-day uh, ex- experience as a human being, how is this? You know, give me something that I can use, not just philosophy and science that you know uh, takes up a bunch of textbooks. And what I've come up with is that the left side of the brain is is very very serious, and the right side of the brain is very playful. Uh, that's taking a lot of different research into account, but I found that it actually uh, is very relatable to people. And and then there's a balance in life where seriousness isn't all bad. Uh, you know, I, I just was talking, you know, had people at a conference and, and there's a certain element of seriousness that really helped the conversation. But at the same time, to be overly serious all the time is probably one of the biggest triggers for stress. And it's, and it's a big trigger for the stress response in the body. It's particularly when we take thoughts serious. And so we have the right brain that balances that out. And the right brain is much more childlike, much more playful. Uh, and that's why it tends to uh, be responsible for humor and music and things that we play. You know, it's always interesting that we play music, but you go to work. And so, you know, so for many of us, we take work very seriously. And I'm not saying that's bad, uh, but like you pointed out so nicely, everything is about balance. Everything is about um, harmony. And, 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 and finding an integration. So we have uh, our human experience, we have our time of play, and, our, and that, that seems to initiate that rest and digest uh, uh, parasympathetic system in, in our body, which is so necessary for so many of us. And the other system, which is uh, taking everything very seriously, that seems to get the uh, sympathetic system going, which so many of us have over active, almost continuously uh, running uh, sympathetic nervous system activity that, that, that that's why it's so hard for us to, to um, have fun anymore and relax and enjoy life. And so uh, when we look at that way, when we look at that definition of the left and right sides of the brain, the real balance is, is finding the time of play, finding the, because we're already very serious as a culture. We're very, uh, uh, you know, 
we put things in writing. And again, so all of these things are characteristic of the left brain. And, um, and it's to be serious. So I did quite a bit of investigation in it. What does it mean to even be serious? And to be serious, the, the best thing I could come up with is, is to be literal. And so, uh, you know, you go to work and you say, well, we have to take work seriously. What does that mean? It means that you take it literally. You take it at its surface level. Uh, this paperwork has a date and it must be, you know, it has to be in by this date. And again, that's not a bad thing. It's fine. But there's also a playful side to it. And I could see this in my classes when I would joke about, like, you know, some people would really believe that it's Wednesday today. And, and that's, that's a great organizational tool. If we, like, we were able to meet online because you said, let's meet on Wednesday. And, and so it works. But then when you take that really seriously and you really buy in to the, these categories that the left brain has created, like it's Wednesday and it's two o'clock and, and, you know, uh, then we end up living a life of deadlines and this needs to be done, um, you know, by this day. And it's interesting because not all cultures in the world are like that. I uh, mentioned particularly people and from the first book, I mentioned the Piraha culture uh, in the Amazon, and uh, they have no numbers. Uh, they have no numbers in their world. And, and so it would be meaningless to say two o'clock or to, or to say, you know, the 17th of May, uh, you know, that this would, it just has no meaning in their world. Again, that's not a bad thing that we have this whole system of numbers and abstractions that the left brain really uh, uh, takes very seriously. It's just that we just need a little bit more balance, a little bit more play, a little bit more fun, uh, because that helps bring the meaning to our existence. It's an interesting thing when you contemplate going on vacation, for example, Dr. Niebuhr, and most of us that are in this very serious go, go, go lifestyle, you can think to yourself how difficult it actually is in the first maybe one or two days when you go on vacation, everything is disrupted. Time doesn't really matter. You're not on an agenda, but it still takes you about two days to just go, I can, I can play more. I don't have to be in this left brain language, linguistics. And the interesting thing you'd said on our last episode was that that left brain might lie to us. And I thought about that as I was preparing for today. And there were some things that were brought up on episode with you in season two about the split brain. And we only touched on it very briefly, but I'd like to actually ask you a little bit more about what's some of the research on the split brain and actually what does it mean since most of us are still digesting the left and right brain? What happens with the split brain concept? Yeah, it's such a fascinating thing uh, in terms of human history that, uh, I mean, for like I said, for thousands of years, we were aware that we had the brain has a very strange organization. I mean, nature could have just made one big brain and it didn't. And then when you look through the nervous system, you really find these kind of what you might call opponent processes, which are it's, everything is about balance. And so you've got the sympathetic nervous system, like I said before, that kind of gets us aroused, ready to you know, run or fight. And then we have the parasympathetic that calms us down. And really the biggest division in the brain seems to be between 
creating this left brain that has its functions, but then we have the counter, the right brain. And then nature did this wonderful thing of connecting it through the corpus callosum, which is about, last count was like 800 million nerve fibers. And so, you, you know, it's just the architecture of it is really a mystery and, and it's, it's a, just a beautiful architecture. And, and again, it tells us so much because nature could have just made one giant brain and put it in our skull, but uh, it, it didn't. So we have two different processing systems, but for most of us, that, that they're always interconnected. And, and so um, uh, the brain really is, and there's quite a bit of debate about this because people say, almost as a reminder, like, no, you have one brain, you don't have two. And that's because they're so interconnected. So right now, really, the two sides of the brain are functionally interconnected. And uh, but with the split brain patients, it was really the first time in history that we were able to see what happens when you go in and surgically disconnect. And so you've got the left brain that's completely autonomous now from the right brain. And all kinds of really fascinating things came from this research. I mean, they found out all kinds of, um, you know, because you could study the left brain in isolation now. And so it did confirm many suspicions that, of course, the left brain is language-based and, um, and the right brain has certain things like spatial awareness and uh, all that did turn out. But I think the, the most fascinating thing about this research was when they put the subjects in certain situations where they would send messages to the right brain, again, something simple like raise your hand, the patient complied, the right brain is intelligent. Um, but they would ask the patient, which is to say they would ask their left brain because that's the part that controls speech. They would say, why did you just, so imagine your hands up and they say, well, why did you raise your hand? And here's again, I think the most important message about the split brain patients. The left side of the brain spontaneously, effortlessly confabulated, which is just a fancy <laughs> word for making things up. You know, I mean, the real reason the hand is in the air is because you just got a command that said, raise your hand. But not a single subject actually gave that response. Um, the left brain was totally clueless why their hand was in the air, but it effortlessly came up with a reasonable explanation. It would say something like, well, I, I needed to stretch. I was getting tired. You know, in other cases, they would get the patient to stand up and walk across the room. And then they would ask them, why are you walking across the room? Well, again, the left brain has no clue. But the left brain never once admitted that I have no clue. Which again, most human, you know, most of us, we usually don't admit we don't know something either. <laughs> we usually just make up a story, and that's what they found. Is that the, so the patient would say something like, "Oh, I, I, I got thirsty and I needed to go across the room to get a drink." Totally wrong, complete confabulation. But it does, it did fit the story, and so the take-home message from all the split-brain research is is a really serious uh, warning to us as a species, to recognize our infinite capacity to confabulate, <laughs> to make things up. And, and so, um, you know, we have this old, very ancient idea of know thyself. And it's really, you know, self-inquiry is very important. And so anyone watching your podcast is probably, you know, on a path of, of, of self-awareness and trying to figure out who they are as a person. But we have to be really cautious because our amazing capacity to make stories up. And, uh, and you know, you mentioned vacation, and, and it's kind of amazing that um, 
there's so many you know examples of this when the left brain just has this it creates this a whole image of how it thinks vacation is going to be and, uh, and and you know vacation sometimes they don't turn out at all like we, we had planned and life doesn't turn out as we had planned so that left <laughs> continuously trying to organize schedule and control and it wants a nice orderly neat world and that's why i said it takes things so seriously because um you know that's what all this is about having predictable predictability uh, and then reality sits in and it's like you know it's just it, it, it's you know the old saying you know, make plans and god laughs and you know and that's so, so, sort of relates to what the left brain is always what it's always about so the, the split brain patients were just such a perfect example of this. And there were not a whole lot of them. There were really only like three patients that were really able to work in the labs and, um, and undergo these kind of experiments. But they showed us that the left brain has this incredible storytelling capacity. It uh, creates myths. It, it wants to provide an explanation. And it doesn't seem to have the capacity to just say, I don't know. Right. I like how you brought in the adjusted portion because as we sit here on adjusted reality, we're trying to get you almost uncomfortable with understanding how the left and right brain work. And you're right, it could have been one unit. The brain is a mastermind machine operator. It controls every piece of our body. And that brain is working 24 seven. And the more we understand how it works, we almost flip the paradigm. The more we can actually control how and why it works. And that's something that's really very, very interesting because we're, we're literally changing how the body can respond. And then most of you know, especially if you've had an injury and the body has to heal itself and you're bringing yourself back into balance and creating a level of awareness on that some muscles are going to be weaker after that injury. Others are going to be tighter because they had to work harder. This is very much the same bodily function for injury as we look at the brain and how the left relates to the right. And there's a sense of self there. Clearly we talked about the ego, but tell us a little bit more. How, how does that um, sense of self play into all of this? Because we all have an idea of what we think we are, but how does it really work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, again, if you, if you, if, like you pointed out, uh, humans, if you look at us philosophizing for so many thousands of years, and, 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 and we did pick up some things about our, some insights about what it is to be human, but then neuroscience came along and, and that really just kind of clued us in, like, like we would have never recognized that the left brain makes up stories and if we didn't have the split brain patients. But that was a very difficult thing for us to take in. It's a very, when I tell people like, look, we confabulate and we make up our own and we, and then you finish it up with, and we believe these stories. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, and then, and half the time, these stories are the things that cause us stress. And, and that leads us into one of the most stressful stories out there. And that's the story of the ego, the self. And of course, from an evolutionary perspective, having a sense of self probably was a, um, huge advantage in terms of survival. Um, but we're at a time where we live in such a different world 
you know, I, I don't have to deal with an ice age. Um, and, uh, you know, we get food through drive through, not the way our ancestors did. So everything is everything has changed in terms of um, the, the how the brain evolved and, and the problems that the brain evolved to solve. I and mean, we, we're living in a totally different world. And we need to recognize that because so much of the mechanics of how the brain work are are 100,000 years old. And and so, um, again, one of these tricks that the brain came up with for survival is this idea of itself. And, and it really does make a lot of sense because when you look at, like imagine you've got the left brain and it's just an endless storyteller and it's, and it's trying to interpret and figure out the world and it just wants to come up with any explanation, even if it's wrong. Well, that's what the self is. It's just another one of these stories. It's an explanation and, and it does make a whole lot of sense. And it's a very useful, explanation. So, of course, the title of the book was No Self, No Problem. And the short version of that title is so many of our problems are because we take the self seriously. And there's nothing wrong with the self. And, and again, it, it's a really useful idea. Uh, it helps if I go to a parking lot and I get into my car. You know, if I just randomly got into cars, the whole structure of society might might have some problems. Um, so, you know, I have this idea of, you know, property and what is mine and pay my bills and all that. And so on that level, the self seems to work out and has a certain function to it. But like I was mentioning earlier, the left brain takes things seriously. And when we take the self seriously, that almost seems to be completely destined towards suffering mm. and, and if you look really in the last 20 years if you want to say one thing that kind of captured our culture because i was looking at comics and i was looking at politicians and it's kind of remarkable that even 20 years ago people used to kind of make fun of themselves they used to have fun with their you know they, they didn't they, they would self-mock and they would you know make jokes about themselves um pretty uh commonly and then all of a sudden, you see, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> and I think that so, so we're, we're, we're taking the self really, really seriously. And that uh, backfires, I think. That really is one of the things that was leading me to you become very imbalanced when you take the self too seriously, because there is this notion that we need to have fun, we need to play, all work and, and no play makes Jack a dull boy. That was one of the, the um, paraphrased pieces that I grew up with is you have to find the fun back in your life and, and possibly do distance yourself from this left brain idea and our our opportunities become much more depressed when we are always so harsh with ourselves too. When you make a mistake and you have to admit it, you recognize there is an uncomfortable feeling about doing something that, that really is good for you to admit, I made a mistake, I need to correct that. And perhaps that's where the left and right brain really need to come into play and, and say, okay, you made a mistake, but let's have some fun with the mistake that you made. I mean, there's serious mistakes that, you know, cannot be undone, but then there's just the little things in life. Like you spill your coffee on your tie or down your dress and you have to go into a meeting. You can make fun of that, but you know what we end up doing? We get angry. We go to the bathroom. We try to take it out. We, it may, we make it worse. We get into the meeting and 
now we have to make up a confabulated story of how, you know, we open the door and the lady hit her umbrella into your coffee and <laughs> you do these funny things to get out of the pain of just making fun of yourself. Yeah, that's a great point. And, um, uh, you know, you reminded me one of the first times I was teaching 20 some years ago when I was kind of really into taking this self seriously. And it was my first day of class and I had uh, my drink and I was so nervous. I actually spilled it completely down my shirt. And, and, and then, and then, then because I was so into taking this self seriously, I was devastated. I just felt like this was the worst day. Of, if the same thing happened to me right now, I would probably not stop laughing for like, you know, I just think it would be like, um, you know, and again, that's, that's, that is really the trick, you know, it's okay to have the self, but uh, and even one of the exercises in um, in the in the companion workbook was to because there's two different ways you can play with humor. There is kind of a dark side to humor, which is mean and nasty, and that's not what I'm talking about when I and I, when I'm talking about having fun. There's also a very light side to humor, like you said, you know, just if you spill something and then you just joke about it, and everyone starts laughing, and that's really what I'm talking about. And uh, just a really simple practice, just every day, just find some little joke to make fun of yourself with. Because, and you also mentioned this too, and I think it's a really important point. Forgiveness is a really important thing in the human experience. We're not very good at it. We don't have enough, any classes on it. We have no training on forgiveness. We're just expected to do it. Um, but the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. And then we have a really tough time with this and people struggle. And when you get into that loop of self-criticism, because that's all the left brain, the left brain is continuously judging. It doesn't want to let go of the past. It, it doesn't want to have fun with it. It wants to make it into a, um, um, uh, again, something very serious. And I, so why not learn from it and, um, you know, it's just happy accidents. There's really no mistakes. I think Bob Ross said that. I always like that saying. And that's that's the playful side. I wonder too, as we are very hard on ourselves and and most of us will look at a mistake and hold on to it and and maybe we forgive ourselves for it, but we never forget. And sometimes that inability to forget, which I wish I could forget some of the mistakes I've made, is it comes up at the most inopportune time. Someone will say something and it's like a trigger right back to that moment of, okay, it happened then, but it's not going to happen now. And I think if we could even make light of some of those moments where we do forgive ourselves and we make it more fun to think about how it could have been. I mean, if it's already lying, why don't we lie in the right direction, right? Make it, make it more positive on how fantastic that, that mistake was. And it actually turned out really funny. I wonder if that changes your future as you end up with that trigger going backwards. What do you think of that? That's a, it's a great piece of advice, you know, to recognize that we are confabulators. I mean, but then you had a great piece of wisdom there. And, you know, if we're going to tell a story, let's tell a fun story. Let's tell a positive story. You know, the story doesn't have to be devastating. And um, one of the practices, and I think it's an, a really good one, and I go into the it, this in the workbook quite a bit, is to follow your thoughts, almost have a journal and, and, and write out all the thoughts that you find particularly stressful. And what you'll find, and I had my students do this, and they they absolutely were blown away by this exercise because once you have the thought down on paper, 
And then you test it out to see how accurate it is. And one of the things about thinking is how remarkably inaccurate it is. So you have this thing, you go, oh, I, that email, my boss is going to be mad. And tomorrow I'm going to go into work and they're just going to be so furious. And then you, and you write that down and then you, and I stayed up all night because I couldn't sleep over it. And you go into work and your boss is like just joking about it and say, yeah, that email is kind of funny. You know, and you're like, well, that thought didn't come out at all the way I thought it would. But it's the process of journal because journaling is really popular right now. And there's some good reasons for that, because it's a way for us to become more aware that we have this circuitry in the left brain and it has these thoughts and it's just like the split brain patients. It's so convinced that these thoughts are accurate. It has no room for doubt. And so we bring ourselves more into like a, becoming more skeptical of our thoughts. You've, I think I talked about this last time, you know, don't believe everything you think. And that's an easy thing to say, but in this exercise, you can actually start practicing the experience of looking at how many times and so my students were looking and they're like my thoughts are only right and this is the most optimistic number my thoughts are only correct about 50 percent of the time <laughs> and i had some of them who were even far less than 50 percent of the time they, some of them were like most of the stuff i worry about never even happens and so but you have but we're, we're pro that's a neural program it's hardwired in us become con convinced that this bad thing's going to happen. You have to remember, again, it's an old program. And to survive in that really different environment, we had to be kind of pessimistic. We had to think the worst case was what was going to happen. And that helped us sur to survive. But we don't need that program any anymore. We're like walking around with a 100,000-year-old outdated uh, thought program. And the way to get around that is write all these thoughts down and test for yourself to see how accurate each thought is. It's very and good. It's very good advice. I think as we, as you said at the very beginning, and we always begin with the end in mind is the ability for us to evolve is to in fact solve. And when I think to what you're saying, it's almost like the left brain is pushing back to actually evolve. And, and you noted in your book too, this, this concept of left brain laziness. Tell me what's lazy about this left brain. Oh, yeah, that's, there's so much I could go into, but um, confirmation bias is something that uh, researchers discovered a long time ago about us humans. And, and it's just like in the same way when you write your thoughts down, you can become aware of this. So the mind um, simply, uh, uh, you know, takes the path of least, least resistance and it doesn't really want to investigate anything other than proving that it's right. And so when think about this and, and work on this, like when, next time you're testing an, an idea, so left brain comes up with an idea, maybe it's something like, you know, green tea is good for you. Well, how do you go about investigating that? And chances are you probably type in, is green tea good for you? Right. And you're going to find all the stuff that supports it. And so the problem with the left brain is that it doesn't really want to do the work to discover that it could be wrong. And so it takes this path. And again, that's why as human beings, we so rarely, so I always do this with exercise with my class. I say, when was the last time you told someone or admitted that you were wrong about something? And people are like, well, you know, 2022, it's been pretty clean. <laughs> I made it so, you know, I made it this far and I haven't been wrong. But, but of course, we're wrong all the time. 
And but the, we don't, we're not self-aware of how often we're wrong because the left brain takes that. It, it sort of cheats. It, it, it's too lazy to really do a full kind of journalist uh, adventure and, 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 and take all sides into consideration. So you have to really actually there are a couple exercises in the new book where you go out and, and, and so you have some idea. But instead of going down that path of confirmation, you actually take some extra work and the left brain doesn't want to do this because it is lazy. But you do a little extra work and investigate whether, whether it could be wrong. And, and the stuff with the green tea, we can, we can handle that. But remember, we, that left side also has the story of the ego, which is very sensitive, particularly it's sensitive to being wrong. And so once you get good at, um, you know, these little things, uh, then you move it up a little bit. And you say, well, was I wrong with that argument? You know, I was with my significant other the other day and we were going at it, you know, and, and then you say, well, let me consider for a moment. Let me just play devil's advocate. Maybe I, maybe I could have been wrong. And, you know, so you have to ease into it because the left brain is very defensive. Uh, all those ego defenses that Freud talked about, that's all what the left brain has conjured up to protect this very sensitive idea of the ego. And so um, uh, it takes, it's, it's work, you know, and I see where you're going now with our left brain being lazy, not willing to actually do the work. And it's interesting as we put it back to the body, knowing that the brain is the ultra machine and it takes care of what the body does, but the body also does things that are lazy. It tries really difficult pathways to avoid pain. And, and you see that when someone has had an injury and oftentimes having to force someone to say, you have to move your leg. It has to go through the range of motion and the brain automatically thinks, well, it was injured, it's gonna be painful. And oftentimes it's just exactly what you need to do. And sometimes you actually need to get through that pain and recognize that it's not any worse than you not being able to move that leg, period. So let's work through it. Injury and balance is, is part of it, but you notice right away when your left brain is lying to you, there's a pit in your stomach where you feel bad when you're wrong. You feel bad when you've done something that perhaps wasn't in the best, and then you start making stories up in your head. Getting the body in balance and getting the brain in balance is critical. And I think that's one of the pieces that really engaged our audience on season two is we recognize now, as you just explained, that the left brain can be lazy on logic and doesn't want to go the extra step and perhaps just say, um, what is green tea? And then we can start walking through the factual research on whether or not it's good for you. And you also brought up the part about awareness and how that left brain bringing it back to awareness is so critical so that the right brain can actually be part of your daily life. And when your right brain is part of your daily life, well, I think you can have more fun. And so I'm going to end this episode with asking you, give us some exercise like I would when most chiropractors would to engage the body to heal, to engage the body to be back in balance. So if the body needs exercise to get in balance, stretching and exercises, the brain does too. If we have heard Dr. Chris Niebauer talk about balance, I think what he's saying here is left and right need to be in balance. Talk to us about fun, 
and what that left brain needs to explore in order for the right brain to be okay with having fun? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, one of the things I start off the new book with is a really important um, uh, method. And it's, it's just a method of taking small steps. And it's really practical because, you know, if I just said, let's go run a marathon, you'd feel like a failure because you'd be, most people couldn't do it. And, but if I said, let's walk around the block and then let's, let's do a mile and let's do two miles. And that really holds for what we call attention. And, and so we all have this ability to, like you wake up in the morning and, and now we're all confronted with so much social media. And it's like, well, you know, what do I tend to? Where do I put my consciousness? And sometimes, again, because the mind is lazy, it just tends to whatever's the big, brightest, and you know, and then we get down that path. But we can start to learn to 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 train our attention, and I think that's what meditation, mindfulness, all the yoga, you put it all together and say these are all methods that are really training our attention. So when you're doing yoga, you're becoming more in your body. Uh, body awareness. One of my one of the things that goes over huge with my students is the body scanning, and uh, and it's so wonderful because they'll do you know just a simple little meditation on body scanning, but it's that they don't realize it necessarily. But they're training their attention. They're training their attention to be in the present moment, to become aware of their body, and to not think about the past and the future for a little bit. And that that in and of itself is really very rewarding. But while you're making these choices, I found that um, some of them, uh, maybe we've lost track about how obvious they are. So when you get up in the morning, like I go for a jog and, and it's always this, what am I going to attend to? And I found so much help by particularly looking at comedians from like the 70s and 80s. I got in this thing where I just, I, I, I in, instead of getting into politics or listening to anything very serious, I just said, I'm just going to just listen to humor. And I, and I started listening to comics for a while during my jog. And I, I found it was really transformative. And I think, you know, they say laughter is the best medicine. And I think there's, there's so much truth to that because while we're laughing, we're not thinking and we're not taking anything very seriously. And that allows the body to get into that mode of uh, uh, healing. And so little things, you know, uh, take, Take some time to just, we all have, most of us have access to, um, you know, some kind of social media and you could look up these old comedians and I, and I don't know, I tend to go for the ones in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Maybe that's just because, you know, that's when I grew up and I'm, but whatever you find funny. And again, as long as it's that, that good natured sense of humor and it's not uh, mean spirited, I think that's really healing to the body, but that creative process. So I, I was, um, asked recently about poetry. And, and I used to do this in my class where I'd say, okay, I'd come in and say, today we're going to write poetry. And, and it, it, it this goes over horribly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people are just like, you know, but we know poetry metaphor is a right brain process. And we know that people who have right brain damage, poetry just, it just doesn't make any sense to them because they take it literally. And, and so they slip into that serious mode of, of the left brain because the right brain is damaged. And, and then you, and people just sit there and they're trying to think their way into creativity. They're trying to think their way into poetry. And so I say, okay, well, let's, let's back it up a little bit. Let me give you some tricks of how you can kind of get into this right brain awareness. And so we'll do a little meditation on uh, focusing on the gap between thinking. 
And so if you look at the left brain narrative, it's, it, it's filled with a bunch of sentences. But the interesting thing is there are gaps and there are these wonderful little empty spaces where we're not thinking at all. And I have the class focus on that and get a little bit better at focusing on those gaps because that's where poetry comes in. When you, when you stop thinking, all of a sudden, that mysterious process of creativity takes over. And then all of a sudden, if you can slow the mind down a little bit, suddenly this weird poem or song or a piece of art just suddenly comes to your mind. And when no one knows where it comes from, well, it's coming from the right brain. And because the right brain can't use language the way the left brain is, it, the left brain is totally in the dark about where it came from because it can't articulate it. It can't explain, well, here's how I created this. But um, when we do that, uh, and it takes a little bit of practice, but suddenly people will start writing poetry. And I, and I think poetry is a, it's, it's one of those things our culture has totally devalued. Again, it's a right brain task. Um, but it, so you can get into you know, the laughter, the poetry. And um, it's sort of these, it's almost like a thing that becomes kind of contagious. So in the same way that we've become completely dependent on the left brain because it's like a it's snowballing mechanism. We got into it and then that created the imbalance. But the same thing can happen with the right brain. And it doesn't have to be, again, small little steps. If you, if you do just a little bit, uh, it will take on a, a, a momentum of its own. And another wonderful thing, uh, doesn't work, for, not for everyone, but for so many of my students, music seems to be a wonderful way to get into the right brain. Uh, and, um, and a lot of people actually do listen to music. Uh, you know, it, and, and the thing is, it's interesting, they'll, they'll you know, go to work and they'll crank them and, they'll, and they're totally right brained. They're completely into the music, the rhythm. And, but the interesting thing is when they, when they, when they pull into the parking lot, it's like they shut that all down. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, I was just zoned out. And they, so that's the left brain coming back online, trivializing the right brain experience. And what I think is important is like you recognize like, hey, you know, my drive to work was all right brain fun. It was all right brain play. It was music. It was, you know, and you're just kind of, I've seen people dancing, literally dancing in their car on the way to work. And then when they get to work, all that shuts down and then the seriousness takes over. Um, so if you, again, there's little, there's these paths and, and, and they don't have to be, you know, all consuming. There's these little tricks you can do uh, just a little bit every day. And, uh, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll find yourself um, not taking yourself very seriously. It seems to all come together because the two sides of the brain become a little bit more balanced and, and you start using the left brain more effectively. That to me was the, the strangest thing about all this. When I, stopped relying completely on the left brain and I only used it when I thought it was necessary, suddenly it started working really well. And, and so, um, you know, when you bring the balance, you, you, it, you'll see that the left brain is a, is a wonderful tool when it's used properly. I love it. I, and, and the best part is you're right. Do not let the left brain tell you when your right brain was working and it was enjoying and it was laughing and it was having fun, that that was a bad thing. Don't let that lying left brain take over. And the balance is there. And there is no study that I'm aware of 
at this time that says laughing and movement and you know having that dance on is a bad thing. I think it engages all of us. It makes our life so much more fun. And speaking of fun, it's always wonderful to have you on Adjusted Reality, Dr. Niebauer. I hope our audience gets to see that having more fun, enjoying life, it really does change the way your body feels and it will change the way your mind works. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I want to thank you for tuning in to Adjusted Reality as we spoke to Dr. Chris Niebauer about the difference between our left and right brain, how our left brain can impact our sense of self and ultimately how to overcome that left-lying perception. Now, remember that that right brain needs to find its place. We can do this by just a simple body scan throughout the day. Baby steps is what he was talking about. What does the body feel like? How about you write some poetry where we enter into a space of relaxation? Stop thinking and write just what comes to mind. Laughter. Find what makes you laugh and continue it throughout the day. Dance. Smile. Just enjoy your day. Let that right brain have some fun. And I think the balance of our lives will improve immensely. Remember, when we can train our brain, it will evolve. It will evolve in the way we want it to. A balanced body, a balanced mind, and a healthy, happy wellness program ahead for all of us. This podcast was brought to you by the Foundation for Chiropractic Progress. As a special gift for listening today, visit f4cp.org slash health to get a copy of our Mind, Body, Spirit ebook, which focuses on the many ways to optimize your health and the ones you love without the use of drugs or surgery. Don't forget to subscribe, share the podcast with family and friends, rate and review. If you're feeling so inspired to learn more about chiropractic or to find a doctor of chiropractic near you, visit f4cp.org slash find a doctor. We appreciate your support and look forward to checking in with you again soon.